Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Through the Banner podcast. My name is Casper McLeod and joining me for episode two is Michael Van Dorsen. MVD, what a weekend of football it was. Round two, how good is it to have footy back? It's been fantastic to have footy back, Casper, and I'll tell you what, it, uh, throw up some upsets in, ra- in round two or the first week back. Unbelievable at this point in time, but... I would not have picked some. I think I only got three of me footy tipping, which is, uh, well, probably par for the course, to be perfectly honest, but absolutely terrible in the scheme of things. Well, I tell you what, I'm still sitting high and mighty off of tipping Gold Coast last week. Um, I'll be honest with you, I kind of did that joke seemingly, semi, semi jokingly, and then all of a sudden I've checked the score at three quarter time and they're up by 25 points. Um, All right, questions need to be asked here, Casper. What is the inside mail that you had that Gold Coast were going to win? Because I don't think anybody else would have picked them other than the kiss of death. <laughs> well, maybe the kiss of death and Stuart do. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't know. It was just, it was, I did it for a joke. Uh, and then it turns out the joke was on West Coast. But um, let's get into round two, a little bit of a review. Let's go over what are our top two highlights from the weekend. Uh, I'll go first. My first highlight, it was great to see Jack Higgins back, kicking a goal upon his return. It's wonderful to see him out, back playing football, back where he belongs in the yellow sash. It was honestly, it was incredible. And it was great to see him kick a goal on return. He seemingly loves to kick a miracle goal against Collingwood. He's uh, he's done into get a knack for that and it was great to see him once again uh, uh, bothering the Collingwood defence on uh, on Thursday night. So that's for me, that is my number one highlight. What's yours? Uh, mine came in the last round, uh, last game of the round which was St Kilda Western Bulldogs and uh, it's a personal one probably more than anything um, but the Doggies debuted a youngster by the name of Latham Vandermeer um, mm. He's a bloke from up my way, up in Shepparton. I've actually played a fair bit of cricket with his dad. Um, he's a, his dad's a 300-game superstar for the Marupna Cats. Um, he debuted. He uh, only got the 10 possessions, but he kicked one goal one. Uh, and uh, super excited to see this young fella out there. And uh, hopefully he gets more of a crack, although I don't know how much of a chopping the uh, team's going to get this week. But I hope uh, Latham Vandermeer gets more of a go at it. So personally, that's that was my big highlight from the week. I thought that he was. I thought that he was brilliant. One of the few bright spots for the dogs on an otherwise pretty terrible afternoon for them. And I can't imagine how the the nerves must have been for for his family watching. I uh, can't imagine watching my son or daughter playing football uh, <laughs> professionally for the first time. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not too sure either. But yeah, I, I think they were they were very proud of him and. Um, just to see th- the st- talk throughout the week about how he went and um, and got to the, where he needed to, uh, it was pretty. Uh, it was pretty exciting to see, and obviously that personal connection makes it a bit of a bit of a good one too. What was your second highlight, mate? Gold Coast. Wow, wow, wow! Who would have seen the Suns winning, let alone by as much as they did? Raul, 26 disposals and two goals. Weller, 24 disposals and a major. Took Miller and Brendan Fiorini, 22 and 21 disposals each. Will Powell, 21 disposals. Sam Day, two goals from 18 touches. This is their future right here. And this is their foundation that will take them to their first premiership, I reckon. It was a complete performance. And if Sexton had actually kicked straight, he had three behinds and no goals. They would have won by a lot more. Their future definitely looks very bright. And I mean that pun 100%. We need to start having a pun bell for you, I think, with uh, with all the puns you come out with. But uh, <laughs> I was going to go with that too. But since you went with it, I'll try and find something else. Um, I'm going to go with the fact that there was, uh, what, 2,000 people at the Adelaide Oval to watch the showdown um, to actually have people back into games and and see that, I think that was another highlight for mine, um, just to see people there. And I mean, even GWS were able to get a few people at the gate games as well, um, although they were deplorable as well. Um, but we'll get to that later. But uh, yeah, I, to see 2,000 people at Adelaide Oval for what was a very lopsided affair um, was 
good to see. And thank goodness the South Australian government came to their senses. Absolutely. It was great to see the port supporters uh, celebrating how great the power were on Saturday night. And even seeing the Crow supporters, you know, throwing their hands in the air, you know, cursing or whatever it was, however they're expressing their frustrations. It was just great to see the emotions that come with going to a football game, negative or positive. It's part of following the sport and it's part of loving it. And it was truly great to see them. I totally agree. Now, good to see crowds at least anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully we can get some more people to, to games sooner rather than later. Uh, safely, of course. Um, now, for every highlight, there is, of course, a low light. Our top two low lights. Uh, for me, number one has got to be Carlton's slow start. They had two and a half months to prepare for this game, and they had two and a half months to rectify the slow start against Richmond, which really cost them the game in the end. And they came out, and once again, five goals conceded in the first quarter. They didn't bother the scoreboard in the first home, Carlton. And it cost them in this game because Richmond, as a good team, they weren't going to let Carlton win no matter how long that game went on for. But Melbourne nearly conceded that game. If Carlton hadn't been so terrible in that first quarter, they would have won that match. And for me, just to think that a team can have such a long preparation to come out and be that flat for the first 30 minutes, especially in a shortened format, just for me, that's, that's inexcusable. Yeah, you got to think where what was um, what was going on in the uh, or what time were they supposed to be at the game? Um, disappointing on all levels. I've got some Carlton supporters uh, that I know, and uh, yeah, not they weren't very happy with the way things were. And maybe next time they should say that they're starting an hour and a half earlier. Maybe <laughs> they might be right by by the time the ball's bounced. Yeah, maybe. Uh, maybe. David Teague has got to try something to get them to play four quarters of football. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I would dare say that he'll be uh, working on that right now, right at this very point in time, I think. There would be nothing that would be uh, escaping him in regards to that. So hopefully you can, uh, they can get a good look in this weekend. Um, my first low light, I'll be honest, I didn't watch it, all of it, but that was just purely because I had something else on, even though I'm a even though I was trying to watch as much Hawthorne games as possible because I'm a Hawthorne supporter. Mm -hmm. But to see what happened down the highway, um, was happy at halftime, happy enough. And then to see the second half performance um, and to hear Clarko come out and say that was a fourth rank <laughs> um, side, I'd like to see some local teams go up against a fourth ranked Hawthorne team and see what happens with that. But um, no, nah, that was just absolutely deplorable. And uh, yeah, didn't ruin my weekend like it once would, but just looking at it going, shaking my head, no, nah, not on. Yeah, absolutely. And you don't expect that from the Hawks. That, that ah, exactly. And now all of a sudden everyone's complaining. They're saying Hawthorne's too slow. Hawthorne's not going to make finals. Uh, the whole hashtag in Clarko we trust thing's gone out the window with a few people. So um, we'll see what happens with that, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, yeah, it's way too risky to, to count the Hawks out, especially this early in the season. Uh, we can't forget what they did in round one, but yeah, mm. round one, characteristic performance from them. For me, it was the Western Bulldogs. It's just so disappointing. And I said last week that this year would be a make, and, make or break season for them. You know, 2016 flag, nothing really since then, aside from an incredible 10-week run at the back end of last year. Uh, started this season off of a smashing by the Giants in the elimination final, came out against Collingwood at their home ground. And Marvel Stadium is a ground where the dogs barely lose at. They got pumped there. And then they come back. They've had a long two and a half months off to recalibrate. Coming up against a team that before the season started, I think a lot of people would have predicted the dogs to be able to beat the Saints. And yet... It was the Saints who looked like they were a top four contender and the Dogs looking like they were a bottom four contender in that game. We look at who they brought in to that doggy side. Your Josh Shackies, your, your Josh Bruce, um, up against his old side first up sort of thing. Uh, they think that they're a long way away. Uh, they're not that far off at having another crack at this uh, September. Well, 
I don't think we can say September action this year, but yeah, finals sort of action. Um, but yeah, just to see that what they did and what they put out, um, I was just yeah, I was very disappointed with that. Um, but not as disappointed as I was when I saw the skills of the footballers for the whole weekend. It started Friday. It started Thursday night, and uh, I must admit I did jump on board some of the tweets going out in regards to bring back the AFLW. Um, nothing against the AFL women, but I'll tell you what, some of the, the amount of people that complain about AFL women and then watch the game on fr- at least the one on Thursday night, but throughout the weekend, some of the skills of these footballers, I don't know what they've been doing over the over the break. They yeah. clearly haven't been kicking or handballing. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. You get paid that much money to, to put up a performance like that. I was... I was absolutely gobsmacked. And thank goodness I didn't follow either Collingwood or Richmond because I reckon I would have had a TV broken. <laughs> Kick the ball. Jack Rewalt missing from 30 yards, uh, thirty metres out. What on earth? Could not believe that. Hooley was shanking kicks. Martin was far off. Rioli. It was just, it was a thank goodness for Pendlebury and for Sidebottom because they made that game watchable. It was... Oh my god! I, yeah, no, I, I, I think skills levels were terrible. And just on that AFLW, I found it kind of interesting that, you know, you have a game that a lot of people in the AFLW I think wrongfully criticised. As I agree, completely agree. And the skill levels being what some people would consider poor. And then you have an AFL men's game who they always, they always hold up as like, well, why can't the women play like the men? And then the men's come out and they have a 36-36 draw. And for me, it's just kind of like, for me, I would prefer a game where the skills are great, but I don't mind the low scoring nature of Thursday night. At least it was close. I would, I'd much rather watch a low scoring, close thriller mm-hmm. than a high scoring blowout. Um, for example, a few years ago, Brisbane uh, lost to the Eagles in opening round, I think, 2016 by 10 goals or so. Both teams kicked over 100 points. Um, I'm glad I didn't watch that game because it would have been boring as heck. A 10-goal win? No, thank you. I'd much rather take a 36-36 draw. Uh, moving on to the most surprising result of the weekend. You go first. Uh, for mine, it was Gold Coast. I don't think there'd be too much uh, argument across the board with that one. Um, just the way in which they dismantled, let's be honest, the premiership favourite. Um, just beggared belief. And, and yes, I I didn't have Fox, so I couldn't watch a lot of it. Um, I was trying to get onto KO a bit, but um, the fact that I was, I was watching the uh, showdown and then, Flicked the flicked on a few things and went. Oh, Gold Coast actually made it up. Actually got the result, and in such a way that you sit there and went, "Yeah, okay, maybe there is the uh, the good side. Maybe they are starting to come good, and maybe Stewie Jew's got something ticking along there." But um, oh, the number one draft pick, Matt Rail, um, the accolades on him at the moment in pulling this team up by the scruff of his by the scruff of its neck, single-handedly for, for a young kid, what, 18, 19-year-old. Apparently, the, uh, the the pundits are saying that the uh, rising star is already over. Well, it's hard to see who can catch him at this point, and it's incredible to say that just after the second game. But he was unbelievable. Uh, I think for me, while it's obviously incredible how well the Suns performed, it's equally, if not more, surprising how terrible West Coast performed. You look at the list of players who were playing on Saturday night for the Eagles, Dom Sheed, Tim Kelly, Luke Shuey, Jack Darling, Josh Kennedy, Shannon Hearn, all these caliber players. Don't forget they won a premiership in 2018 and they weren't that far off the top four in 2019 either. And to come out against a team that many predicted to win the wooden spoon this year, uh, there are a couple who, who doubted the Suns would win a game at all. And to come out and put up this type of a performance, and I don't think the hub 
can be a good enough excuse, all right? Because you looked at Fremantle on Saturday earlier and they performed really admirably against Brisbane. Fremantle was a very brave performance from the Dockers. So the Eagles can't say, oh, well, you know, woe well, well is, well is us, woe well is me. I've got to stay in Queensland for however long. That's their reality. There's nothing they can do about it. That's their reality. That's what they have to deal with. And they're going to have to deal with it pretty quickly because they have Brisbane, uh, I think Brisbane, Port Adelaide and Richmond coming up in the next three weeks. And who knows how long they're going to be over East. It's just absolutely shocking, shocking from the Eagles. Uh, we'll move oh, on. That was, sorry. sorry, that was their best 22, wasn't it? Effectively yeah. their best 22. Yeah. Like, go figure in regards to that. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't get it, honestly. I don't get why they what they shouldn't be having any sort of excuses whatsoever. And I reckon Adam Simpson would be uh, quite rightly furious in regards to it. I think him and half of the state of Western Australia as well. Um, yeah, the the other half would have been pretty happy with the purple half. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, best win in Gold Coast history, do you think? Oh, that first one where they beat Richmond, um, I think after the siren was pretty good. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Carmichael Hunt game. Yeah. But, and they, they've won a couple of Q clashes as well, haven't they, as well? So yeah. um, I'm not too sure in regards yeah. to that. It's, um, it's tricky to say exactly whether or not this was the greatest win, but it has to be up there. Like you, you would think. Oh, for sure. Sydney. Um, in 2018 when they beat the Swans at the SCG. That's really started, that was the start of the Swans kind of downfall at the moment that this low period that the Swans are in, it started with that game. Um, and to beat the, the Swans for the first time at their home ground was incredible. Beating Collingwood in 2014 when Gary Ablett injured his shoulder, showed a lot of great strength. And I think maybe Port Adelaide coming back against the power in 2011 from 40 points down to win one of their first matches. That should also be up there. But I reckon this reckon this is the beginning of something new for the Gold Coast. Um, it's, uh, it's, interesting that, it's interesting that you're talking about all the wins that they've had. And you, or it's almost like that one. You can almost list them off to, on two hands, the amount of wins that they've had. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, Gold Coast fans. It's not, it's not, it's not been a great... It's not been a great start in their history for them, but let's hope that the 2020s will be a lot kinder than the 2020s yep. were. Uh, biggest surprise, uh, biggest positive surprise, which team surprised us the most in a positive light? I think I'll go first with this I think one. we've answered that one. I think we've answered that one already with the with the Gold Coast a fair yeah. bit. I, I wouldn't be surprised unless you've got someone else. I'll put an honourable mention in though. North Melbourne. Yeah, true. Before the season started, I didn't rate them. I looked at performances late last year when they lost to the Eagles by 50 points in Perth. They scored a goal against Geelong. They nearly lost to Melbourne. Um, and no offence to Melbourne last year, but they were the second worst team in the competition and they almost lost to them. Mm. I looked at those type of performances and I looked at the first half of the season as well as the second half. And I thought North Melbourne might challenge for the eight. But that's going to be that's going to be the extent of it. Uh, to come back against St Kilda by five five goals down to win by a couple of points showed great heart and great courage, which was then further exemplified by the win in Sydney on the weekend. That was incredible. The Giants have one of the best home ground advantages in the league. They hardly lose in Sydney and they hardly lose in Canberra. And so whenever they do, it's always a big surprise. And you always expect it to be one of the premier teams in the competitions that's actually able to beat them. But funnily enough, Richmond struggled over there in the last few years. Geelong struggled in round one to beat the Giants over there. Really, the Hawks, off the top of my head, are the only team that I can think of in the last... Hawthorne and Brisbane were the only teams that challenged for the premiership last year. That oh, <laughs> Hawthorne challenged for the premiership. They challenged for the finals last year. They were able to beat the Giants in Sydney and Canberra. Their home ground advantage is that good. And yet here comes North Melbourne off the back of Reese Shaw and they comfortably beat the Giants too. It wasn't like a shot after the siren. The Giants were unlucky to lose. 
they were dominated for the second half. It was an unbelievable performance, even made more unbelievable by the fact that North Melbourne had to get on a plane at 6 a.m. that morning, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, to go on a flight to Sydney to perform, to come back to Melbourne that night. That was an unbelievable performance from the Kangaroos. Well, the Giants were 12 points up midway through that third quarter. And then they just literally, they kicked, well, they, at, after that point, you look at it and uh, they, North Melbourne kicked, well, they kicked six in the last quarter to six, six goals to three in the last quarter. Wow. And they, they, I reckon they probably kicked three goals in that last little bit as well. Wow. So, yeah, they, they turned on the afterburners and did a pretty good job of it as well. Seesawing much for most of it, but yeah, no, well done, North Melbourne. Uh, good work, credit where credit's due. Um, they've done a fantastic job to get that uh, W. It wasn't fair that, to the GWS, though, back in when we played them in up in Canberra. It was snowing and they didn't want to play in the snow. <laughs> evidently not. And evidently Hawthorne did, as shown by how how nonchalantly uh, Alistair Clarkson was acting. Oh, yeah, no, it's just yeah. snow. No, really eh. yeah, you know, just a little bit of snow. Um, biggest disappointment he was Hawthorne. As mentioned before, you just don't expect that from them. They they almost gave up. It was like third quarter, Geelong kicked, I think, three or four goals in a row at one point, and the Hawks just kind of stopped. And it was incredible to see that. Where was the Alistair Clarkson team that fights like hell until they win with a grin? I tell you what, the only two Hawthorne players who were grinning after Friday night was Sean Burgoyne and Chad Wingard because their actions, their respective actions, did not warrant them getting suspended this week. I think that both of those players are incredibly much. And I tell you... I like, I like how you say this week, though. Yeah, well, absolutely. And we'll get, we will, we'll get to that. Um, I still can't believe that Burgoyne got off, but I'll get to that in a second. But I think one person who wouldn't be grinning at the moment would be Jack Kenneth. Um, because, you know, he's the type of person who would expect nothing short of excellence from the Hawks. You've seen that with his tenure with the club. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how the Hawks rebound. They've got the Tigers this week. That's not easy. That is not easy. No. At least they're back at the MCG. That's the main thing and see what happens there. But Richmond loved the MCG. For mine, it was Adelaide. Oh, For all the talk out of Adelaide about how, good, how big this game gets with the showdown, and then to put an insipid performance like that in where you only score, have 10 scoring shots. Like, seriously, what? I mean, is this the same club that played in a grand final, what, three years ago? I don't know. That's a I great... mean, they just don't look like a shell of the form of their self. Yes, okay, you've lost. They've lost Josh Jenkins. They've lost Alex Keith. They've lost the all these players. But the nucleus is still there. I mean, yeah, okay, Rory Sloan didn't play, big, but um, but yeah, I mean, you look at it and go, you're kidding me. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't expect Port Adelaide to be as good as what they are. I'll yeah, be honest. But I don't expect a 12-goal showdown result. Like, that's that's one that, no matter what where they are on the ladder, it's always a close game. It's like Hawthorne Geelong so many years back. I keep going back to Hawthorne. I apologise. Um, but that's what I know. Uh, like, you always expect them to be a close game. But to see that and, and all that, I mean, Charlie Dixon, Justin Westhoff, both kicking three goals, not too bad there. Stephen Motlop, at times, like, for an older player, he just tore them to shreds. And those youngsters coming through, Connor Rosie, Xavier Dersma, uh, Zach Butters. Yeah, they're going to be a good side. And I reckon, I reckon Port Adelaide will play finals. Yeah, I think so. I think so as well. And I tell you what, Butters has to be goal of the has to be goal of the round, right? I mean, surely, surely. And that's coming from an Essendon supporter, right? I think that Devin Smith's goal was incredible. But I mean, <laughs> Butters' goal—you only see that once in a blue moon. That was unbelievable, unbelievable. Skill. Speaking Sign of for the Socceroos, absolutely, absolutely. We need him uh, in where's the next World Cup being played? Qatar. We need him in Qatar. But, okay, 
Uh, speaking of Port Adelaide, the three teams remaining who are undefeated, Port Adelaide, North Melbourne, Essendon, in that order sit first, second, third on the ladder. Out of these three teams, who is going to have a better 2020 season and why? You first, MBD. Port. Um, without a shadow of a doubt, I think what they've got there, and, and with those players that we just mentioned, um, they're quick, they're skillful, they're... I'm almost annoyed that Hawthorne gave up uh, Ryan Burton to go to Port Adelaide and they got... Um, uh, I think they got Dersmer out of it as well. So um, one of those guys, but just look at it and go, eh, what's going on? But I reckon they'll be, they will be, they'll finish the higher out of the three. Mm. Uh, I'm not sold on Essendon yet. I think Sean McKernan played really well this week, mm. but I'm surprised. Uh, he, he doesn't do it week in, week out. And with the fact that Joe Danaher is not there, you guys are going to struggle a bit. I'm sorry, Casper, but um they, they need a marking forward um, to to do it. And North Melbourne, well, I didn't catch that. I didn't catch the full game with GWS, but um, yeah, jury's still out of North Melbourne. But Port Adelaide, for sure, I can say at this point they will finish the higher out of the three of them. What about you? Who do you reckon? What do you reckon? I mean, your heart's going to say Essendon for sure, isn't it? My heart, my heart is absolutely going to say Essendon, but I think in this case, my head's going to overrule my heart. And I'm going to say North Melbourne because yeah, okay. when, when I looked, when I made when I made the prediction last week that North Melbourne weren't going to make finals, I think I was looking at the overall season and completely ignoring the scalps that they took as soon as Reese Shaw took charge. They crushed Richmond. They crushed Collingwood. They had an honourable loss to the Giants. That was one of their losses. Unlucky loss against Brisbane. Unlucky loss against Essendon in the McDonald Tip and Woody game. Two of those games, really, a couple of, you know, the ball bounces a different way. McDonald Tip and Woody, maybe he gets the post. Umpires don't mess them over as much as they did in that Brisbane game. They would have won that game against Brisbane. They would have won that game against Essendon. They turned around that loss against Geelong where they scored only one goal and won by nearly 90 points the next week against a team in Port Adelaide that was still contending for finals at that point. Ben Brown turned around and kicked 10 goals. 10 goals? The first time that a kangaroo had kicked 10 goals since a man that they called Duck was playing in the world of white. <laughs> and quack, I Ben Brown might be the new king at North Melbourne. I'm sorry, Kerry, but it's true. Ben Brown has the possibility to really become the new king at the Kangaroos. And I think because of that and because of the skills of older players like Cunnington and Zeeble and Goldstein, those three never seem to age, and young players like Zerha, how good was Zerha against the Giants? He was absolutely incredible. I think for those reasons and because of Reese Shaw, there's something special brewing at Arden Street this year. So I think because of that, they're going to finish higher. I think also, if you look at Essendon, they're not consistent enough yet to get my vote. And I think mm -hmm. it's, it remains to be seen how much the coaching turnover will affect and impact the players later on in the season. Who knows how the Bombers are going to handle that? Will Wusher gradually hand it over to his successor? As the season progresses, will he not? How is that going to work out? Is that going to impact the players? Is it not? I don't know. But the players and the club has a 16-year premiership, 16-year uh, drought without winning a final that they have to deal with. That's a lot of pressure to put on really a young group of players. Uh, I, watched, I watched footy classified on Monday night. Sorry, mate. Sorry to cut you off. But um, watch footy classified on Monday night. And, and they asked Matthew Lloyd, who is running the show down there? Hmm. Without a shadow of a doubt, he turned around and said, Ben Rutten. If game days and all that sort of stuff, Ben Rutten is running the show. So he is the, currently coaching Essendon. Well, that's good. That, so, is, that, that warms my heart. That warms that's my surprising. Heart. It surprised me hmm. as an observer because I would have thought Wusher would have kept going. Um, but Rutten obviously is taking control of it and, and Wusher's there to advise. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's fair enough. Um, I think that makes sense. But you know, we'll see. Your, I think I think for your sake and for all the Essendon fans out there's sake, I think you need a fit Joe Danaher that wants to be playing from at Tullamarine to be up and about in that forward line. I think if you guys are to go deep in in twenty twenty, um I keep wanting to say September, but it's I know it's not going to be September this year. So there you go. Um, <laughs> like I think you guys, I think you guys need Joe Danaher, and Joe Danaher needs Essendon. I just don't know whether he will get back out on the park. To be honest. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. We'll see. We'll see about that. We'll move on to the next question. Should the flag fancies be worried? West Coast, GWS, and to an extent Richmond. Should they be concerned? I saw this one pop up when you sent it to me and I'm sitting there going, this is a very interesting co uh, conversation point. All three of those sides will be sitting there going, nah, we're not worried, we're not worried, we're not worried. Richmond, I think, are the least worried out of the three of them, considering they've got Hawthorne this week and the way Hawthorne dished up what they dished up. That being said, Hawthorne stayed at 45 points, Richmond stayed at 36 points, Hawthorne win. Go for there. Um, <laughs> silver lining. You've got to find a silver lining somewhere. Um, I'm going to say West Coast are probably the most worried, would be the most worried, purely because I think they've got to, because they're playing these first four games and potentially two, two to four more away from home. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sold on it as being as an, as an excuse, the hub. But I think the fact that West Coast lost to so badly to the Gold Coast. Um, get the feeling that they might be worried, a bit more worried than say the GWS boys. Yeah, I. But agree. then again, but then again, I look at it and go, GWS, they've got all the talent as well. Um, so I'm not sure. Yeah, it's it's a tough one, and each and like I said, you've got to find silver linings in different things. So each one of them will have silver linings for their clouds that they've got at the moment. But I just think West Coast are probably the little bit more, yeah, likely to finish lower on the top, in the top eight. Can I say that? Interesting. Wow, that's, <laughs> that's a big call. Wow. I think, yeah, I, I agree with you on West Coast. I think alarm bells should be ringing for Adam Simpson. And if he hasn't written Mark McGowan begging him to open up state borders yet, I would be surprised. Uh, Richmond, I agree, not yet, just because who knows how many games they're going to play at the MCG. They're practically invincible there unless they're playing Collingwood. And we saw on Thursday night they managed to escape with two premiership points. So that's them sorted for another year until they play Collingwood again. And in terms of the Giants, I think that they should be concerned because they ran out with a nearly full-strength side against a team that a premiership contender should beat. A premiership contender should beat North Melbourne. Uh, who knows how good the Kangaroos are going to be this year, but still, the Giants should have won that game. That being said, though, it is only round two, and the Giants have such a strong nucleus of players that so long as they don't all get injuries in the next four or five weeks or so, they'll be fine. They'll bounce back. You expect them to bounce back. And what better team to play against then the Western Bulldogs, a team that they have a little bit of a rivalry brewing with at the moment and a team that is on their knees. Uh, moving on to the injuries and suspensions. Uh, I noted Nick Newman, Patella, tendon rupture. Uh, this one is, this one was rough. This one was rough to watch. No, get, he got injured uh, in, pre in preparing to come back for this game. He injured his shoulder in March and he managed to recover to, to play the game against Melbourne and then all of a sudden he's out for the rest of the year. That's rough. That is incredibly tough. Mm. And I think that that's going to be a major blow for Carlton. As will Sean, uh, Sean Darcy for Fremantle, the Ruckman. Just because Fremantle's system at the moment seems to be rotating their tools so that Rory Lobb is either playing in the Ruck or playing in the forward line. And Sean Darcy playing in the Ruck allows Lobb to be that forward target for Fremantle, at least until Jesse Hogan gets on the park. And so for however long it's, it is between Darcy being out and Hogan playing, Rory Lobb is going to effectively have to do those two jobs together, unless Ken McCarthy can play out of his skin. And I think that Rob... He's still coming back. Ken McCarthy's still coming back from collapsing at training the other week too, isn't he? Oh, I think you're right. Jeez, Louise. Yeah, they have... They have 
I hope I hope I hope he's going to be okay. Um, Fremantle has a has a tall personnel problem uh, at the moment, and Darcy's injury does not make that any better. Um, another big one that I noted was Rory Sloan uh, for the Crows, considering how terrible they have been. To have one of their consistently great players injured, who knows? Uh, they don't know yet whether or not he'll uh, he'll miss a game this week. But it's a game that, despite the two respective forms, the Crows would look at as winnable. You look at the Suns the last time that they won a really big game against Sydney in 2018. The next week, they played Carlton at home, expected to win that game, and the Blues crushed them. And so the Crows would be looking at that thinking, here's an inexperienced team. I think the, I think the Crows and the Suns are two of the youngest teams in the competition. I would not, I would not be surprised if the Suns are younger than the Crows. They're younger than us. They're less experienced than us. And we have an opportunity here to catch them on the rebound because they would be feeling pretty good about themselves. And to not have potentially Rory Sloan playing for them in this game is a massive loss for Adelaide. Oh, sure. Um, yeah, definitely. Jaron Geary's a big loss for St Kilda with a hamstring injury. Um, one to two, apparently, is supposed to, is likely to miss. Um, but I think everyone's watching down at Telemarine at this week and see whether Arazio Fantasia is uh, <laughs> how his quad comes back uh, and gets into full match fitness and all that sort of stuff. So um, there's a couple of big names um, for you as well. Apparently, Gary Rowan twisted his knee against the Hawks. Um, and Josh Jenkins could be in for a comeback for Geelong as well. Wow. So there's a couple of interesting ones. Um, and wonder whether or not we, uh, Hawthorne gets back Jager O'Meara uh, with, from that fractured eye socket. That would be big for the Hawthorne. One or the other. Yeah. Thank you. That's the first thing I'll be a huge get for them. Now, Carlton's got... The, sorry, you were saying Carlton's got the biggest... We were talking about Carlton's injury list. They've got the biggest injury list at the moment. Wow. That's not good. No, it's not. So, maybe, maybe well, I it's either Carlton or North Melbourne, one of the two. Maybe it should have been easy on them for their slow starts then. Um, nah, not at all. Because <laughs> I'll tell you what, David Teague wouldn't be. No, that's true. That's true. Um, as long as those green shoots are coming through, right? Uh, as for suspensions, uh, we'll get to Sean Burgoyne in a second. But Jeremy McGovern, he's, the Eagles are challenging the call. It was originally a one-week suspension for the for the jab. Should he have been given that suspension or not? Yes, I saw the footage uh, Monday night on Footy Classified, and um, even they were looking at it and uh, having a bit of a laugh. Why is he challenging it? Oh, I didn't feel like I hit him. He was talking to Perth Radio. Well, I'm sorry, but I don't know. When you look at the the footage, it's pretty damning, and uh, I reckon yes. Sorry, Jeremy, you're missing this week. Yeah, exactly. I would, Sorry. Yeah, exactly. I would agree with that. Um, I don't know how he could say that I didn't realize I hit him or I didn't know I hit him. That's, it's kind of, I would think that it would be pretty easy to tell whether or not you punch someone. I think that that would be pretty easy to tell. So, yes, I think, I think he should have been given a week. Should Sexton should have been offered a week as well for the conduct that led to the McGovern retribution. No, um, what? Well, uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, I think that was. I don't think it was fine, but I don't think it was warranted. Um, I yeah. think Jeremy was a little bit dumb, if I'm going to be perfectly honest. Yeah. yeah. I mean, these days you can't you can't be punching blokes even in like jumper punches anymore. So I don't know where. Uh, no, nah, I don't. I completely know. Sorry. No, I agree with that. I agree with that. You cannot retaliate to what somebody else is doing by punching them. Uh, and finally, Sean Burgoyne. Um, was it right to give him just a fine or should the AFL had jumped on the opportunity to make an example of this case? Hawthorne hat off, prefacing it, because I've been talking to Hawthorne all the night and I've got to stop. But taking my Hawthorne hat off, it, the optics didn't look good yeah. at all. Uh, 
the fact that he didn't have both arms pinned, which is what I'm led to believe was in the MRO's decision, and he and Dangerfield braced himself for the impact, saved Burgoyne. Yeah. I, I, that's personally my belief, and okay, people can shout at me because I'm a Hawthorne supporter, I don't care, but that is personally what I think. I think the fact that he was able to brace for the impact with his arm that was free, um, saved Burgoyne. Hmm. Now that they've adjudged, uh, they've tra- changed the ruling, I think it's a good decision by the uh, by the AFL to come out and close that loophole, for want of a better phrase. Um, not saying that Burgoyne exploited it, but just saying I think that they're they've recognised that there was something that needed to be done. They've done it. And I think that's probably a better thing because we've got to protect the head. We have to protect the head in so many different ways. The amount of people that talk, that I've been talking to about dis, uh, concussions and all that sort of thing. No, nah, there's too many of them in sport and in footy and um, definitely agreed that the head needs to be protected. Absolutely. What do you think? think was, yeah, well, I agree. I think it was Fife who mentioned the fact that it was concussions is what he's most worried about, the impacts of later on in life. And he's had a couple throughout his career. And I, I, I still can't believe the fact that he got off. And to be honest with you, I think the AFL changing changing the, the, the boundaries of that ruling on Monday kind of confirmed for me the fact that they're kind of regretting the fact that he got off as well. But here's my okay. question. Right, they've overturned a decision before. Bachelor in 2017 originally had four games, it got downgraded to two, and then the AFL put in a plea for that to be changed, and it was, and it was changed to four weeks. How on earth can they not do how can they justify not doing that again? Because I guarantee you, in the next two to three weeks, there will be someone who does that again, does that dangerous tackle, and who knows if that player who's getting tackled will be lucky like Dangerfield was, wasn't to, to, to not get knocked out. And then when the AFL eventually comes down on that player, everyone's going to turn around and say, well, how, what about Burgoyne? And I think that, that they missed a golden opportunity. Two points of order. Hmm. First of all, Burgoyne was found guilty and he was fined. He was still found guilty though. That's, what, that is, that's just one thing. The second thing, the Bashahuli one. What happened to that uh, to the player? Knocked out, taken to hospital. Yeah. Didn't play for quite some time. The optics of that looked a heck of a lot worse than what the optics of Burgoyne's on Dangerfield. So I think that's where the AFL came in and stood in and went, right, no, that's wrong. You need to be because it was a striking charges. If I'm if I'm remembering the incident that you're talking about correctly. I think it was the elbow or something to the yeah. Carlton player in the head. Yep. Um, so I think, I think that's what, and they didn't want to stand for that in the game. This is, and this is, again, I'm probably, people are going to say you're Hawthorne biased. I, I understand that, but I'd be saying about this with, with, if it was the shoe was on the other foot, if Dangerfield had done the tackling to Burgoyne. Um, I, don't think the AFL needed to step in and change this one. I agree that the rule change should have happened and they should have closed that loophole a lot earlier. But I think what they've done now is correct. I know, uh, what is it? Does does that mean, I think it still means that Burgoyne's ineligible for the, uh, for the Brownlow, yeah? Uh, no, I think it. I think it means that he's. I think it means that he. Oh, okay. If you get fined, if you get fined, it's okay. Uh, which was okay. why it was so big. Uh, Dustin Martin got suspended early last year. That's yeah, that's right. And he he took the fine and and he was still eligible. Yeah, but I, I the thing is, people need to realise that he got found guilty. He got fined. Yes, okay, it's not the missing the week that everybody wants. But he's still—it's still a blemish on his record. That's true. Sorry, I just, <laughs> I'm just completely flattened the mood of this podcast. Oh no, <laughs> I won't be coming back. Thanks, guys. Hope you've all had fun. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I think I think while while I while I agree the fact that you know when I say the fact that Burgoyne got off, he didn't get off. You're right. He got fined. That is a stain on his record. But 
the AFL missed a golden opportunity to truly stamp this out. What this reminds yeah. me of, what this really reminds me of is what happened with the Toby Green incident with Luke Dalhouse, right? The the the, the studs to the face, right? In that the AFL the missed at that point to rule that out. And what happened a few years later, again, Toby Green used his used his leg, that kicking motion to protect himself. And it was after that that the AFL finally stepped in. And so I think that the AFL has had a couple of examples over the last few years. It happened not to continue to, to pick on Hawthorne, but Ben Stratton, right? Pinching Orazio Fantasia. He did that to, I think it was Charlie Cameron. When they yeah, he did. I was at that game, actually, and I didn't realise what was going on with that until after I got home. I'm still <laughs> That's amazed. just dumb. Yeah, I'm, I'm amazed the fact that he didn't get called for that the first time. And whoop-de-doo, he did it again a couple of weeks later. And I'm not saying that... You know, I, no, do I, I'm saying it. Orazio Fantasia, right, got needlessly pinched and injured because of inaction from the AFL. And I'm afraid that's that's. I'm not saying that Burgoyne will do that slinging action again, but someone will. Golden okay. opportunity missed. Yeah, fair enough. Oh, I don't. I just with the uh, Stratton one, I don't know what the AFL could have done. Whether that because whether or not the MRO actually saw it on on the footage that he had. I, it begs the question. I don't know. I don't know what goes on and what sort of footage the MRO gets, whether they are you just sit there at home and watching it. Because I don't know whether or not the, the host broadcaster actually got the footage for the Cameron for the Charlie Cameron one. Don't know. Good point. I can't remember because uh, I remember Charlie Cameron coming out after and saying, oh, he was doing that to me the week before. Uh, uh, but anyway, I, I don't disagree with you that someone will probably come out and get that done and probably use Burgoyne as a as leverage or something like that. The issue with some of the other ones has been the fact that they didn't have their arms pinned and they've been driving them into the ground head first. And that to me just oh, sends shivers down my spine because my spine isn't broken. Um, but it just looks like it's going to be that. And like I said, I think, like I said, off the top, I think the fact that he had an arm free and he was able to somewhat brace hmm. for it. I'll tell you what, if Burgoyne does it again, he'll be, he, he, he's not the bloke that I thought he, like, looking at him, think he is. Yeah. Um, but I, I think you're right. Definitely, I'm glad Dangerfield didn't get hurt. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I, I think the AFL have done the right thing in regard, in to close that loophole, for want of a better phrase. Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. Moving on to round three. Got a big weekend of games coming up. Who's going to win each game? By how much and why? We each give our predictions. It starts with a massive Thursday night uh, blockbuster question mark, depending on how well Hawthorne <laughs> uh, at the MCG. Uh, who's your tip? Uh, is it going to be wet like it was the other night? Because I might tip a draw. <laughs> Uh, no, I'm going. I'm going Hawthorne. Mm. I'm sticking with the Hawks. Uh, I think they're going to get a rocket up their backside. I think Jago Mira will come in, um, and I think, yeah, I think even though like their their first half was better than Richmond's complete game last week, so uh, I think Hawthorne will win by. Hopefully, it's not six points, but I feel like six points is a good a good enough number. You. Interesting. I think just a little point there. I, I know that you were saying the draw is a joke, but it's kind of interesting the fact that consecutive draws for teams are so rare. That happened to the Giants in 2017. And then I think the previous yes. time before that was like 100 years before. So it's incredibly rare for that to happen. And that's why I don't think a draw is going to happen. I think Richmond are going to win by 22 points. The Hawks will come out angry. And I think they run the risk of potentially, they don't want to do what Port Adelaide did when Port Adelaide played Brisbane last year, when they just kept attacking the Brisbane players, more specifically Lockie Neal, right? Hawthorne's got to remember that it's a game of football, right? It's all well- I don't, I don't think they will. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. But they, I think they've got to 
make sure that their anger is not misplaced, right? It's all well and good to tackle hard, but there's a ball you have to go after, not necessarily the opposition player. I think... Ben McAvoy play ruck or play centre-half back? Got to be ruck, you would think. Yeah. I think I don't think Segler's there yet. Play Segler at centre-half back, interchanging into the ruck. Yeah. Sam Frost down there as well. Cic- whether Sicily takes Rewalt, that'll be an interesting Ooh. work. Sicily takes Rewalt. Frost takes Lynch. Wow. There you go. Put my co- coach's hat on. <laughs> Who takes Patton? That's a good one. Who takes Patton? Uh, Dylan Grimes. Yeah, okay. You would think, surely. And, and it'd be an interesting midfield battle as well. Yeah. Where the Warple goes to Martin. I'd like to see that battle. Martin versus the Warpedo. I think that would be mm-hmm. interesting. Um, trying to don't argue with Warpedo. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think just because it's at the MCG and because Richmond are in such a rich vein of form, it's been over a year since they last lost. Uh, 368 days, I believe, since the last time. Oh, well, that's a nice little stat to hang your hat on. Good work. Bring that <laughs> one out late. Just to leave you with a little bit of hope. Um, That's right. It's like it's like Port Adelaide being on top of the ladder for what? How many weeks? Yeah, exactly. Well, funnily enough, another random stat. I don't know where I read this, but it's interesting. Um, at the end of round one in each leap year thus far this century, the team that's finished on top has gone on to win the premiership. So I I did see that stat too. So there you go. Congratulations, Kenny. Congratulations. <laughs> Are you saying engrave it? Start engraving it now. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I reckon if he does win, he'll get up and probably say, hey, Koshi, you were wrong for doubting me. But um, <laughs> moving on to Friday Night Football, the Giants and the Dogs at Marvel Stadium here in Melbourne. I think this one is probably one of the easier ones to tip this weekend, if there is such a thing as an easy game of football to tip. Giants by 59 points, they'll come out spinning venom. Giants are a premiership contender who had a bad game, while the Bulldogs are proving that they are not a premiership contender, and they've had a very large amount of bad games recently. That will continue. This one is season-defining, career-defining, um, so much more defining than we can put money or put money on. Not even that. Just say, to be perfectly honest, I think for Luke Beveridge and, and some of the Western Bulldogs boys. Um, the fact that they've got not a lot of wins under their belt since they won that flag in 2016. Um, this would have to be one of the biggest premiership hangovers going around at the moment. Um, and I don't say that lightly. I hope for the Doggies fans' sake out there that they can actually uh, bounce back and, and and show what they're made of and show a bit of the Western, um, Western grunt. Mm. Um, but you'd think... The Giants would win this one and win this one pretty well. I'm thinking at least four goals, but um, yeah. And you hope for. So I'd like, as I said, I'd like to see the doggies do well. Yeah, exactly. And you hope for a good game. It's Friday night football. You know, Friday night this this past weekend wasn't great. So let's hope for a good game. I I doubt it's going to happen though. Uh, Saturday afternoon, same stadium, of course, the Giants and the Swans flying in on the same flight and then flying out on the same flight as well. Same with teams going into New South Wales. North Melbourne v Sydney, I'm tipping the Kangaroos by 19 points. What I'm most interested in seeing is how the Kangaroos deal with having the favourites tag applied to them. Mm. The Saints were favourites, I I believe they were favourites to beat North Melbourne. In round one, the Giants were absolutely favourites to beat North last week. The, the Kangaroos are proving to be very good underdogs. Now let's see how they play when their opposition are the underdogs. I think that's going to be interesting. I think the Swans are going to be a lot better this year than what a lot of people were saying. A lot of people were saying bottom four. Ignoring the fact that the Swans had a percentage of about 90% last year. It was an incredible percentage for a team that finished with just seven wins. And a lot of their losses were very, very close. They lost to the Magpies by seven points. They lost to the Giants by two points. They lost to the Lions by, I think, 20 points, which isn't that bad considering how strong Brisbane were in Brisbane last year. I think Sydney, especially if they can get Buddy Franklin back, the Swans will be better than what a lot of people think, just not on this particular day, North by 19. Tell you what. Just having a quick look through the last three games, 
between these two sides have all been under a, a goal or under. Wow. Sydney in round nine last year by five. 2018 in July on July 15 uh, was Sydney by a goal. And up in Sydney, North Melbourne won by two points in May 2018. So Ooh. as I was, as I had that feeling, this is going to be a really close one. And I want to see how North bounce back. I'm actually going to tip North to win in Melbourne against Sydney mm. for the first time in a while, but uh, by less than a goal. How about that? Ooh, a thriller on Saturday afternoon. I like it. I like it. Collingwood versus St. Kilda. MCG Crosstown, uh, Collingwood by 27 points, purely because I think St Kilda have proven the fact that they can play against teams who are around them on the ladder or below them, or at least where I think will finish around them or below them on the ladder. You know, they, they despite the capitulation against North Melbourne, they were in the game up until the final few seconds. And then to bury the Bulldogs, it's a great sign that the fact that the Saints are getting cohesion back into their game, which was lacking under, Alice, uh, under, under uh, Alan Richardson for a few years. But it's Collingwood coming off of an ugly draw at their home ground. Uh, I can't see St. Kilda winning this. Collingwood by 27. Mason Cox plays... Or does Mason Cox play that? It's a very big if. Mm. I'm liking the look of this game. I will try my best to watch it if I possibly can because I think this one will absolutely be a, actually be a belter um, between the two sides. And St Kilda, I feel are on the up. Mm. I just couldn't get over some of the poor disposals and all that sort of stuff from Collingwood last week. I mean, yeah, okay, Pendlebury inside bottom, two pretty good players and all that sort of thing. Um, I say that tongue-in-cheek. They're very good players. Uh, but, yeah, I think... I don't know. I'm, I'm liking it. Maybe it's because I'm behind in the footy tips, but I reckon uh, I'm going to go St Kilda. Wow. By wow. a handful. Ooh, what an upset. What an upset. I tell you what, sometimes you've got to take a Hail Mary pass. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Hey, you back Gold Coast against West Coast. Go figure. I know. I can't say anything. I get it. I get it. And I would love to see the Saints get up. That's just me being an Essendon supporter. I would love to see Collingwood. Um, I just, I personally don't think that Collingwood will lose that many games this year. Um, moving on to, I think, what will be the game of the round. Brisbane v West Coast at the Gabba. Can the Eagles bounce back? Can the Lions put in a more convincing thorough performance. I think Brisbane win by 15 points. West Coast has something to prove, but if, and this is conditional, if they are without Jeremy McGovern, who I think is their best defender, some might say Tom Brass, I think Jeremy McGovern is still their best defender against Brisbane's forward line. That's an incredibly damaging loss for West Coast in this game. Not only that, I think that the one caveat that the Eagles can catch Brisbane on is I think Brisbane has a problem where their defenders get caught too far up the ground. And we saw that several times against Fremantle when Fremantle caused a rare turnover and was able to then go coast to coast relatively quickly. And that was Fremantle for crying out loud. As West Coast are able to get a hold of them, then it could be uh, it could be an ugly game for Brisbane. I don't think it will be though. Brisbane at home. Uh, yeah, I'm going... I'm going Brisbane. Sorry, mate. I think uh, I just cut, I might have cut you off a midway through that because it went all glitchy. Oh, that's, okay. that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> the wonders of technology. Um, I, I'm going. I'm going Brisbane. Um, Charlie Cameron, who I don't think we've even touched on yet, was absolutely phenomenal against Freo and and all that. Yeah, I think you were touching on it there uh, in regards to it. I I can't see Jeremy McGovern playing. Um, Harris Andrews is one of the best. Uh, drop-off defenders in the league. Um, Josh Kennedy is going to have to do a fair amount of work and all that. Tim Kelly's needs to probably better for the run against uh, the, the Suns, but I just think Brisbane by about, yeah, maybe even five goals at this point. I'm very bullish on Brisbane. Yeah, me too. Deep, deep September run for them, I reckon, this year, Brisbane. Uh, if they can just conquer the MCG, they could win it all. Who knows? But we're getting too far ahead of, ahead of ourselves there with that prediction. Uh, Geelong, Carlton, 
at the Cattery. Uh, this one, along with the Giants Bulldogs, I think this is fairly straightforward. Geelong are playing at home. The only team that seems to trouble them whenever the Cats play at home are Sydney. Carlton are not Sydney, and therefore Carlton uh, will lose by 50 points. If they concede five goals again to Geelong, they won't get back into the game, and you could be looking at an 80-point-plus win for the Cats if Carlton give up that type of head start. Yeah, I feel like I want to say Geelong by how much, um, mm. but I'm mindful of the fact of Carlton coming back against Melbourne. So, um, yeah, okay, it's different. It's Melbourne, and it's not uh, not Geelong, but I get the feeling, yeah, Geelong will be, win this one pretty comfortably. Yeah, totally agree. Moving on to Sunday, Gold Coast hosting Adelaide at Metricon Stadium. Gold Coast? Favorites? Who would have thought that we would be saying that in round three of 2020? It is utterly, utterly, utterly bizarre this football season that we are in. But if they aren't heading into this game as favorites, then there's something seriously wrong with that because they should. They were awesome last week. Adelaide were not. And for that reason, Suns by 24 points. Although I do want to say, similar to the North Melbourne tip, I want to see how Gold Coast deal with being favourites. Uh, and I just remember that loss against Carlton in 2018, the week after beating Sydney in Sydney. It just kind of, it makes me a little bit hesitant to definitively say that Gold Coast will win. But I'm tipping them to win by four goals anyways. Uh, this time last week, I was saying, who cares about this game? Um, purely and simply because, meh, Gold Coast, Adelaide, but oh, Gold Coast have got so much to play for at this point in time. <laughs> Feels weird saying that, um, but I'm going Gold Coast uh, very comfortably. Adelaide have just pooed. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. Oh, and wow, just to again mention how great of a player he is, he took it up to Gaff Kelly Shuey. 26 disposals and two goals in just his second game. Just hand him the 2022 and 2023 Brownlow medals already. Just in great. Oh. Just hand it to him. Just hand it to him. Uh, moving on. You might be saying something different about that. Well, I tell you what, this kid is going to be a superstar. This kid is going to be an absolute superstar. Uh, but by the way, that's the first of two uh, doubleheader on Sunday at Metricon. It is the first of two doubleheaders, the last one being Fremantle, Port Adelaide. And sandwiched in between them is a clash at the MCG, the Bombers and the Demons. Funnily enough, if this game was at Marvel Stadium, I would actually be tempted to tip Melbourne because in the last four seasons or so, Essendon and Melbourne have played each other twice at the MCG and twice at uh, Marvel Stadium. At the MCG, Essendon won both games. And at Marvel Stadium, Melbourne have carved us up, which is interesting because when you think about it, Melbourne, obviously, the MCG, their primary home ground. Marvel Stadium is our primary home ground. It's kind of interesting because normally you would expect home ground advantage. It would be the other way around. Simply because, not just because of that fact, Melbourne played like a finals team against Carlton for 25 to 30 minutes and then stopped and then nearly lost. It was a return to 2019. They played like 2018 for the first bit and then played like 2019 for the rest of it. Essendon won a game on the weekend that in previous years we would have lost. And it's a sign of growing maturity at Tullamarine. And I'm not sure whether or not, whether or not I should say, our... Um, our uh, our floor has risen in terms of our worst performances because we haven't seen Essendon lose yet. Uh, but I do think that Essendon will be too good for Melbourne. Having said that, I've probably just cursed us. <laughs> uh, isn't that always the case? Uh, um, if Essendon want to be taken seriously in 2020, I think they need to beat Melbourne and beat them comfortably. Melbourne's second half was deplorable against Carlton. Um, don't know what's going on there at the moment, but they just can't string the games together. Christian Petrarca is going to be an absolute superstar footballer. I say he's going to be because he's just starting to show us why he's number one or in the top half dozen picks in the draft. Um, honestly, the and looking and you know things are tight when you look at markets and and see that they're not much separating the two. I can't separate these two sides too much um, at all. 
pretty yeah. much because of S- because of Melbourne's poor performance in the second half. I'm tipping Essendon. Yeah, by I... three by three points. Kick after the siren. Ooh, another another heart stopper. <laughs> My poor heart can't take it. Um, I think uh, if Essendon get off to a fast start like we did against Fremantle and Sydney, it's hard to see Melbourne being able to catch up. Uh, similarly, yep. if Melbourne get off to a fast start, it's, it's going to take quite a lot of work for us to get back into it. Um, so the first quarter is going to be oh so important in this game. I'd back you guys to get back, though, than what Melbourne. Yep, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. I would, too, totally not wearing my red and black glasses when I say that. Uh, and now, as... That's different. I thought I saw them there. Yeah. <laughs> hang on. Hang on. Just putting on my Essendon cap for those who can't see. Uh, forgot to put this on earlier. I uh, was wearing this all day yesterday in celebration, celebratory mode. Uh, finally, for the first time since 2017, we have a good start to this season. Who knows how long this is going to last. I'm going to enjoy it for a bit. Fremantle v Port Adelaide, as previously mentioned by UMVD. This is the second of the Metropolitan Stadium doubleheader. Again, we're getting double headers on the Gold Coast this year. I can't get over this season. But anyways, on Sunday night of all time slots, the power looked great. But Fremantle don't look terrible. They kind of remind me of where Brisbane were at in 2018, where they had a very young team, a relatively new coach. And I know that Chris Fagan was in his second year and Justin Longnew was in his first year, but still relatively new, inexperienced coach. And they had a lot of close losses that year, Brisbane. A lot of moments where, like, if the ball had had set, had set up and instead of rolling away, or if um, Cam Rayner, instead of kicking around the corner against North Melbourne, actually kicked a drop punt, they would have won that game. They lost a lot of games like that that year, Brisbane. And the next year, they finished second. Went from five wins to, I think, 16. I'm not saying Fremantle will finish top four in 2021, but I wouldn't be surprised if Fremantle experienced a surge of the ladder next season. They just remind me a lot of Brisbane in 2018. And I think that that's a great sign for their near, um, their their future in the next couple of seasons. As for this game though, Port Adelaide are just too good. Port Adelaide are just too good. We mentioned before, Rosie, Butters, Dersma, Boak, Motlop, Rockcliffe had a great game. Westoff. Had a great game. The sky is the limit for this team. They are mixing brilliantly. I think what will really test them is the preceding two games. They play West Coast, who I think will still have something to prove by that point because the sting of the Gold Coast loss will still be in their mouth. The sour taste of that loss uh, inflicted on them will still be in their mouth by the time that round four comes around. And then they play Brisbane. That's a massive two weeks for Port Adelaide. We'll know by the end of round five how serious the power are. If they want to be taken seriously, they should also beat Fremantle and beat them well. Port by 38. Yeah, Ollie wants to come back into that squad too. So, um, yeah. absolute superstar for him as well. Yeah, I'm thinking Port Adelaide. Fremantle, to their credit, were gallant. I think I can say that. They were gallant in defeat. Um, every time Brisbane looked like blowing them out of the water, they came back. So, um, lots to like for Freo fans, if there's any on the Eastern Seaboard. On the Eastern Seaboard. Um, but I think Port Adelaide will win this one pretty comfortably. Yep, I totally agree with that. Thank you, NBD, for joining me for this week's episode of the Through the Banner podcast. Good luck for the Hawks Good. on Thursday night. Thanks very much, mate. Appreciate it. Good luck for Essendon. Hope everything goes well and uh, look forward to catching up soon. Likewise, likewise. And hopefully you'll be back, dear listener, for next week's episode. As for now, have a great weekend of football to come. Bye.